It's another Tuesday evening and it's time for us to talk technology. Yes. And also actually catch up with a few technology leaders. It's going to be an amazing show. Sit back, relax and enjoy. This is City Trends. My name is Philip Ashon and City Trends is sponsored by First National Bank. On the show today, why can't we build apps that would work much better here and then scale that elsewhere? I'm not saying that we shouldn't build the cool apps, but for me, I think the most important thing, again, just to be able to ramp up and looking at what happens and looking at our unique things, looking at even branding Ghana, I, I think we, we need to be a bit more um, circumspect with what we choose to work on. Atu Ulzunapia is my guest as we continue to profile some of Ghana's technology leaders on the show. So much insights coming up on the show. It will be a fantastic one and you can be a part of it. And it's very simple. Share your thoughts and opinions on the show via the WhatsApp number 054-998-6996. Tweet at us using hashtag CityTrend. Well, Tuesday evenings are times when we get together to have technology conversations. And as you have noticed over the last couple of weeks, we've been having some very in-depth conversations with technology leaders in Ghana. And we started the series off with Kofi Dadze, who is and was the co-founder of Ranka. Today, we are going to be speaking with a young man who's, um, who's, whose life is... He, is, he finds his hands in, in quite a, num, a number of things, but one of the things that he likes to always identify is his identity with 233. And as you would see in most of his tweets and most of his conversations, he enjoys to let everybody know, first of all, where he comes from, which is 233, um, which is Ghana, and of course, to the Ghana to the World, Director at Ghana Think Foundation and Program Officer at Cosmos Innovation Center, Atu Ozunapia. Atu, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, City Trends is one of the most important t- uh, radio shows in Ghana. So I'm always excited to be on it. And it is our I mean, pleasure at least to... Me. <laughs> we 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 take we take that one we take that compliment in in full effect. So <laughs> as as we've been doing on the show, we've been talking to technology leaders in Ghana, and um, you have a very um, you have a very interesting sort of background with regards what the technology space looks like today, and I just want you to give us a quick overview of what your 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 journey has been like helping to develop build and entrench what we now see today as the technology space in Ghana that everybody's raving about and is bringing the twitters of the world into the country great so i i would i, I would go through this quickly but permit me to go all the way back to the year 2001 which is 20 years ago <laughs> So I had just finished Presec, and uh, my father had organized for me to come to the US or to go to the US. Um, he was in Syracuse at the time. 
So the idea was I was going to spend a year in Syracuse applying for MIT, because that's where I wanted to go for university. And this was the, that was the first time that I really, really got to experience the internet and technology and digital tools. You know, in particular, we used to go to the cafe, but this time there was a computer at home. So um, I think since then, I've always been a very, very big proponent of using the internet. You know, I think, you know, people can really improve themselves or develop themselves personally just by spending more time on the internet and, you know, using tech tools. But um, when I went to MIT, I studied civil engineering, and whilst there, um, I got a couple of um, Odadies, one in um, MIT called Ebenezer Wood, one at Yale called Pakusi India, introduced me to something called Ghana Conscious, which was the MSN social group. And it was a group of young Ghanaians who were homesick, wanted to talk about Ghana, and um, wanted to come up with solutions to Ghanaian problems. So even though I studied civil engineering, I became very, very, very interested in technology and how we could use technology to solve problems. Because um, as through Ghana Conscious, we created something called Choboy, and then Ghana Think Foundation was born circa 2004-2005. And we started working on a project where um, we had a keyboard that you could install on your Windows machine to type A and O and Ghanaian characters. Right. So we're trying to solve an issue of we don't have a lot of our content, Ghanaian content or language content online. So if you create a keyboard that people can use to type, we can get more content in Microsoft Word or on websites. Secondly, we had another discussion about music. I was a very, very big fan of hip life. And at the time, 0405, hip life was the most popular type of music in Ghana. It's interesting how even up till now, we don't really have music tech startups, but music is a very big space in Ghana that I think we need to see some innovation in, but that's just by the way. So, um, so we, we wanted to get the lyrics of Ghanaian songs online. You know, similarly, use technology. We hear all these Ghanaian songs, whether it's Ghanaians or in Ghana or abroad or Africans everywhere or people everywhere. We want them to know what the music is saying. So we started working on that as well. So I think due to these two projects, I became very, very, very interested in technology and less interested in civil engineering. So even though I did construction management at Stanford, because I wanted to do a management program, I think two years into the program, I just realized that I wanted to do things in technology um, because I saw that you could use technology and digital tools to solve problems across sectors, not just civil engineering. So around that time, two years into my master's or being around Stanford, I, I, um, you know, I had worked on Musiki.com, which is like my real first enterprise. Um, it's an African music online website. Uh, but now we call it an African music online business because we've grown from just being a website. So I think around that time, I became very, very interested in technology. And the other thing that was happening around these years, let's say 2007-ish, was I was becoming very, very, I became in love, like I really liked Google as a company. <laughs> so I liked Gmail, I liked all the Google products. And uh, we also got the, I got the chance to visit Google because Stanford is close to Google. And then I also heard that Google was um, the best company to work for. So at that time I was like, oh, then I want to work for the best company to work for. 
And but I was thinking about what can I do at Google, given the skills that I have. So the first thing I thought of was I'm studying civil uh, construction management. Maybe I can join their their building teams and help renovate buildings or build buildings. I actually had the chance to work on a building at Google as part of all my classes at Stanford. And then later on, I was like, oh, as Kastahoro, the language project was expanding and growing and the same thing with Miseke. I was thinking about localization because I remember at the time, even this is like 08 or 09, I could change my Gmail from English to Swahili because at that time I was learning Swahili. So I intentionally changed Swahili so I could use it to learn the language. Um, so I was thinking about working in localization at Google, right? Because they localize a lot of their products into different languages. And then the next thing I thought of was being um, some kind of a product manager, whether like for Gmail or another product of Google. And then fast forward to 2010, I realized that Google was hiring in Ghana or hiring on the continent. So um, I got to know the positions they were hiring for. And I was definitely interested because I'm in love with working at Google and I would love to be in Ghana. So I applied for a job there and I got it. And that made me move from, that made me return to Ghana. Since then, um, my Google role was a, an African role. I was an outreach program manager where I was working mostly with developer associations, developer hubs, uh, developer events, that kind of stuff. Like that was my role at Google. And then after that, um, I left because I wanted to go back to work on Museke and my own things. I realized that was very difficult to do. <laughs> so I ended up um, taking some contract jobs. I took one with uh, Rankard and I eventually joined Rankard full-time. Uh, at Rankard, I was a project manager and a product manager. Um, as most of you might know, Rankard is a tech company and the vision of Rankard or the mission of Rankard is to you know, help people who have content reach people who have phones. At least that was the mission when I was there. Things have changed a bit since I left in 2015. And since I left in 2015, my decision was uh, not to work for anybody again, um, but still do things in the tech space. So yeah, so I mean, that's a bit of my tech journey. Since 2015, um, I did some work with the International Trade Center where my role was to uh, mentor and coach two startups that were building technology for the cocoa sector. Um, my current role in Cosmos Innovation uh, Center, obviously we are training and investing in startups that are um, agri-tech or have some kind of innovation. So there's a bit of you know tech and digital in there. So that's pretty much uh, the story, yeah. That's, that is a story that obviously has taken you into so many different places and, you know, giving you so many different experiences along the way. And one of the things that really strikes me is the fact that, for example, you speak about Moseke starting all the way back then, but then you speak about it today as something that still continues. Um, you, you speak, for example, about how you got... Um, how you got yourself involved with helping sort of put Africa on the map through you know some of these conversations that you're having on MSN and everything. And now we've seen, for example, things like Clubhouse opening up spaces for some of these very important conversations to happen. My, my, my question to you is, 
having taken something like Museke from what it was to still sticking to it till today, a lot of the projects that you put your hand to, Ghana Think Foundation for one, is something that started very, very small, but you still stuck with it, grew it till, you know, what it is today. And I'm just wondering, for you, sitting back and, and looking at some of these major projects that you've been involved in, um, what would you say is the one thing that, you know, keeps you hooked on to some of some projects like these? Because, look, yeah. we've heard of so many different stories of people coming up with all these very incredible tech ideas. And the end goal is sell it off to somebody who will buy it and then you're good to go. But you seem, you, you seem very, you seem very stuck on the idea of still building, and building, yeah, and building. And I just yeah. want want you to just shed some light on that principle and how important it is for tech leaders and technology um, entrepreneurs in Ghana. Yeah. So it's an interesting question because the truth is, Museke is not very active now. But I'll come to where we are now. So when, in, I think in 2012, maybe late, late 2012 or early 2013, um, at that time, we had a team of, so I started Miseke with a Kenyan friend from MIT, a Swazi friend who was a Wesleyan, um, Pakusi Mbia, who I talked about, it was a Yale. But around 2013, the team was made up of myself, my Kenyan friend from MIT, um, a Cameroonian, a Cameroonian lady and a South African lady who found us through the website and eventually became leaders for Miseke. And then uh, Pakwisi again. So at the time, um, I was working on Ghana Think. I had my full-time job with Google. And then there was also Miseke. It was very difficult for me to do all the three things at a full-time level or at an appreciable level, if you understand what I'm saying. So um, basically, we stopped running the website um, because we just didn't have time for it. And, you know, also like some of the other team members and things like that. But since 2013, uh, what we've done is we've worked in small spaces. Like we started with um, helping some musicians get online, trying to get on iTunes, advise them on YouTube, what to do with things like that. So we've been doing a bit of that, but to be very frank, over the last three years, we haven't really done that. But what we do have is we have social media accounts, right? Uh, for me, I'm very big on social media. When it comes to tech and digital, that's one of the things that I'm very, very passionate about or use a lot. So we've tried to use our social media, even though we were not, you know, running services for musicians and charging them or running their website. Right. And now um, our current thought is we want to do an African music podcast. That's what we want to do with that's what Miseke is supposed to be now. Right. So I just wanted to put that in. But uh, I mean, coming to the Ghana thing side, that's something I have stuck with. So you could say that ultimately I chose Ghana thing over Miseke. <laughs> and then um, all the you know, other things I've done for work and consultancies are the things that have replaced Google. I mean, for me, I'm very, very passionate about Ghana, like you mentioned with the 233, um, 233 moments. So I think because of that passion, there's no way I was going to stop working on Ghana, I think. And I can't foresee myself stop to stop working on it in the near or far future. 
So um, I, I think obviously there's a vision that we have um, and the vision is to build a critical mass of young Ghanaians everywhere who are patriotic, passionate, positive, proactive, progressive and productive. So we want that mission, that we want that vision to be realized, right? It will take a number of years. So obviously we will continue to work on it. But the other interesting thing, so far as this conversation is concerned is how we use digital tools and how we use tech to drive what we do at Ghana Think, right? So we started as small, um, but we've been able to grow a lot because we leverage a lot of Twitter, both to let people know about what we are doing, to let people know what is happening at bar camps, to let people know what has happened after bar camps, and Facebook as well. Um, the other thing is the, I mean, now a lot of people work from home, right? Um, so we are talking about virtual tools and collaborative tools and productivity tools. We've been using Google Apps since, since. <laughs> so we don't have an office. Uh, we don't have a lot of physical meetings, even before COVID, right? So we've always been working virtually. We've always been using digital tools, right? Also just to prove that it can be done. And going back to my initial point about how people can use technology and the internet and digital tools to really improve themselves and get things done. Yeah, so for sticking to it, it's just the vision and the ambition and where we want to go to, what we want to see. And there's also tech is an enabler for us. It allows us to be able to do things much easily, do things with less cost, do things with less time, do things with less effort for a lot of impact. So I think that's allowed us and, to be and, able to do this well. And yeah. speaking speaking on that impact is one of the things that I want to touch on as well with you. I mean, it's unimaginable that you've run Ghana Think Foundation for this long and you don't even have an office. And I can imagine a number of, I mean, yes, it's a social enterprise more or less, but the fact that you've run it this long remotely using mainly digital tools to, to run this camp. And this is a camp that is, across the country literally yep. i mean what what does that say you know to that entrepreneur who is looking at either starting a business or starting an enterprise but then has to <laughs> constantly be thinking about where yeah. am i going to be headquartered where is my yes. office going to be should i get a co-working space and all of that it seems to be such a huge problem for a lot of entrepreneurs yeah, I mean, I think for me, obviously being at Google helped because apart from using Google apps, I got to learn to use it more at Google because that's what we used. But aside that, um, I think the, the other important thing I want to mention is bootstrapping. So over the last few years, I've been involved more and more in training entrepreneurs. Um, I've been, I mean, I've mentored several tech being on some boards. I'm still on some boards now. And um, for our Comseco program that we run with Digital Opportunity Trust, that was focusing on training social entrepreneurs. So, um, so we are trying to train startups or social entrepreneurs who don't have a lot of money. Similarly, if you come to the Cosmos Innovation Center, even though they get $50,000 as seed funding, they don't get so much money at the beginning. So bootstrapping is very important. And the funny thing is, I first started hearing about bootstrapping when we started the bar camps in Ghana in 2008 through uh, Nee Simmons, who was one of the um, five folks that ran the first bar camp. So since then, I've always been thinking about bootstrapping. I've always been thinking about lean methodology. 
So I think that's something that most startups need to think about and learn, right? Because it's a great way to ramp up your business um, without a lot of funds. Because if you are being realistic, there are not a lot of funds locally in Ghana for startups. Things have improved. Now you have the government with an agency that gives funds. Some of the big companies in Ghana um, that are based here give funds. You have the multinationals were the ones who were always giving the funds, the Googles and co. Um, and then you have the, the development organizations also giving funds. So it's, it's a much better situation now than 2012 or even 2015. But ramping up, you know, using the methodology, um, building an MVP, bootstrapping is very important, even if you are going to have a lot of money. Because if you do that, then you can showcase that people really want your product or not. And they learn the lessons from that, right? So you don't invest so much money for so many losses or people not buying. You invest a little, you bootstrap, you build upon that, you get more money, you invest in, and then you continue. So for me, that's what we've done with Ghana Think. Um, I mean, over the years, we've been able to get to the point where we make more revenue every year uh, for the most part, maybe except last year, 2020, due to COVID. So, um, yeah, and also last year due to COVID, because of the way we ran, I mean, our overhead costs and our expenses are not that a lot anyway. So we were fine. Like, I wouldn't really complain about 2020. For the uninitiated, um, for the, uh, just yeah. a quick one, for the uninitiated, when you say bootstrapping, what does that mean? Okay. So bootstrapping um, mostly has to do with kind of using things around you to get something done. So this is just the way I think, I think about it. I'm not looking at any dictionary definition or anything. So using things around you to get something done um, if you just look at the idea of bootstrapping, like you strapped your boots, right? So like you are, you are going there to get the work done, right? You're not waiting for, you know, you're not waiting for nicer, you know, footwear or nicer dresses or whatever it is. It's like, let's strap our boots. Let's try and get something done. So far as this idea that we want to do. So just to give an example, when we did our first backhand, bootstrapping for us meant that we can't wait to get 3,000 CDs or 5,000 CDs to organize our event that is for 150 or 180 people, right? How can we, if we have these different cost items, how can we get someone to give us this cost item for free? How can we get someone to, you know, give us this item so that we don't have to go and rent or buy it or pay for it, right? That's, that's an idea of bootstrapping, okay? So, um, so for, for a business, again, you're looking at, depending on the product that you are trying to run, how can you have, that's why we talk about MVPs and MV, minimal viable products is something that we talk about a lot together with lean methodology. So if you're going to run lean, um, how can you with a small amount of money or a small amount of resources, come up with something that you can show to a customer and then the customer will say that, oh, because of what you showed me, I'm going to buy. Or because of what you showed me, here is money. Go and do it and bring it to me. So it's not even the case where you are using your money to build the product for him to buy. They've paid for it. And you're going to use that money to go and build the product and take your profit. So I, I hope that makes sense. Share your thoughts and opinions on the show via the WhatsApp number 54 998 
tweet at us using hashtag CityTrend. That, that that makes a lot of sense. And I'm guessing that this has, like you said, has been the thinking and the mindset behind a lot of the projects that you've been you've been involved in. And Ghana Think Foundation yeah. also has has done a lot of advocacy work, you know, over the period. And I mean, in, in today's um, situation of fix it and everything else. I'm just, I'm just, I know, I know, I know, I know, I just had to bring yeah, that conversation. Yeah. That no, conversation it's, it's interesting you mentioned that because <laughs> the funny thing is, if I, okay, maybe just finish and I'll respond. No, 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 go ahead, go ahead. Okay. So the funny thing is, when we started out um, with Ghana Conscious, Ghana Conscious was more like a discussion forum, you know. So we used to talk a lot about different issues and come up with solutions. So it was a bit like a think tank. And I think we called ourselves a think tank then. But since we started the backhands in 2008, we have not really been doing think tank type stuff. And I wouldn't call us an advocacy group either. There are a lot of Ghana Think members who advocate for different things individually. But Ghana Think as a foundation, we are not into advocacy. So I want to make that clear, right? So, um, I think the interesting thing is like the like the closest thing to advocacy that we've done is this Ghanaian dream project that we are working on this year, right? Where we want people to share what their dream for Ghana is. We are collating a lot of dreams from people, and then we want to use that to come up with uh, maybe some kind of a policy paper, some kind of a I don't know, some kind of an article that will be relevant and also come up with dreams per sector, per location, per community. So I'll say that's probably like the most advocacy type of thing we've done. We, right. we are into networking, mentoring, volunteering, and training. So we are not a think tank. My, my... Um, sometimes people come, people come to tell us that, oh, why don't you go and work on this? And I'm like, we are not a think tank. We are not going to do that. We know what we want to do. There are other organizations in Ghana that we've partnered in the past or that we know who are advocacy groups. We will support them accordingly, but we are not into advocacy. But my my thing has to do with, because aside Ghana Think, you're also pretty vocal on social um, yes. media platforms. So that's, so that's my personal self, Philip. Exactly. Because a lot of Ghana Think members personally advocate. Exactly. Right? But yeah. from, <laughs> and, 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 and that's why we're speaking to you. Um, okay. From all your years of advocacy, whether from you know personal point of view or from um, mm-hmm. uh, being associated with like-minded people who are pushing for a certain you know sort of um, yeah. change, yeah. I'm just wondering with everything happening today with the fix-it movement and all of that, and how um, protests and and things like that have sort of gained or been, for example, NSAS, for example, all mm-hmm. these movements. Mm-hmm were literally started online and yep. then sort of gained an offline sort of movement. Now, what we are seeing now with Figsit is it's becoming more or less like a purely online advocacy platform, you know, with almost very little offline engagement in that sort of sense. I mean, considering everything that happened over the, mm-hmm. over the course of the weekend. And I, yeah. I'm just wondering for you and from where you sit, 
from your experiences with advocacy work from a personal standpoint and everything that you've seen globally, um, and also as a digital leader in that sense, how how does all of this come to you? I mean, the yeah. thought of imagining Ghana being sort of the first country to put across a purely digital protest march, more or less, or or anything of the sort, you know, and, yeah. and, 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 and just... <laughs> And just what that means. Maybe we might not understand the full extent of it today, but then just the the possibilities and what it means, you know, for us as a community to be able to understand the power of digital and how it's able to cause ripple effects and changes within the wider community. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you think about Arab Spring, Black Lives Matter, Occupy, the different occupies, Occupy New York all the way down to Occupy Ghana and answers. I think, you know, a lot of these have the online components to drive more support for it, right? So, I mean, I can't speak for the Fix the Country folks or the conveners. Um, yeah, but I mean, there's a friend of mine who I think is part of one of the conveners. We had a conversation. Um, they have probably been thinking about it and you know the online really helps them garner more support right so but after you know the online thing is happening or has happened for a while then you need people to get onto the ground and advocate so whether you think about like arab spring or even black lives life for black lives matter you know they are the organizations that are driving it so they are on the ground right they are talking to people we are having conversations. We are pushing for things. Uh, I mean, last year I was in the U.S. for the most part, so I, I followed a lot about the Black Lives. Well, I couldn't really prevent it because it's always on the news. But um, a lot of the people behind that, you know, apart from the online things, they're doing a lot of advocacy work on the ground. So, and it's not even even before we come to fix the country. Just think of different demonstrations that people have done in Ghana. That's partly are not partisan, partisan-led, or even partisan-led. You always need some organization or an NGO who is going to continue to lobby for that issue, right? So the trend might end because another trend might come or people are tired of talking about it. People who are part of those driving it have to get onto the ground, talk to stakeholders, talk to people, find out for me the other thing especially around this face the country issue is who is responsible who is responsible for all the things we are talking about think of all the issues that are being raised who's responsible for issue one issue two issue three issue four what we need to do or see after this is those who are in charge have to go and see those responsible for issue one issue two issue three and have conversations with them right but the online is needed for support as for that is very important and um, is also needed for conversation, right? You want you want people to see that oh, this thing that we are, are thinking about, more people care, and you can see that when it's trending, you can see that when people are talking about it. So as for that, is extremely important. But the groundwork has the to groundwork needs to needs to happen as well. So um, basically, we can't have a strictly online sort of advocacy. Um, movement no, 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 no. in that sense there needs to be <laughs> there needs to be that offline components to make sure the message is is, is driven home you you yeah. you you work with or you are 
associated with the Cosmos Innovation Center, which is doing some yeah. pretty brilliant work. And you obviously come across quite a number of um, technology entrepreneurs um, today. My question, my next question is in twofold. Which which area most excites you? I know you do a lot of work with agribusiness and things like that. So clearly you have a thing for that. But which yeah. which of these sectors really like intrigue you quite apart from agribusiness or agri-tech? So there's edutech, there's health tech, there's all yeah. these others that um, are pretty exciting and you know pretty incredible so that's so um, i'll tell you one thing i learned when i was at rankard go and drill for oil because if you know you go and drill for oil you're going to find it so for me one of the things and i think it's been part of like the whole conversation around our tech ecosystem a lot of the times tech entrepreneurs are trying to build something that is cool something that's very innovative something that they've seen happen one one company has done it in the us or the uk they want to bring it to ghana for me, that's not really what we should be looking at. What we should be looking at is where is the content, right? Or what are the things that we are doing in the country that we can apply technology to and it will make things better, right? So for me, apart from all the agri-tech and all the different tech-techs, I really, I'm, I'm interested in lifestyle. I'm interested in like music. Hip life is a big industry in Ghana. A lot of young people do a hip life artists and they make good money, right? I mean, we can say that maybe they don't make as much money as other countries, but they are doing well for themselves. How can we take technology there, right? And make more money from there. Same thing, Kuma Wood. Um, look, at, look at the way um, even we see betting, right? Bet, betting companies are doing things online and they are doing very well with that. So for me, what I want to see is, what are some of the things that are popular in Ghana that we can apply technology to? Because some of the other things, they are difficult. Like our local investors, they don't understand it. They won't give you money. You know, you go and talk to a hospital about this, uh, they won't understand it. But there are certain things that I feel like sometimes is more within us. And for me, it's, a lot of this is lifestyle. You know, so that's that's what I want to talk about because I mean we talk about agritech and edtech and fintech. I mean fintech has been great for us. I mean mobile money has. I mean I remember when I was at Rankard, we were working on fintech, different fintech products, and it was so difficult. But the whole ecosystem has changed, or the whole culture of using mobile money has changed. That fintech companies can do much 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 better now, right? So for me, I'm thinking about. Kumawood is very important to me. I, I'm not sure why we don't have a Netflix-like for Kumawood in Ghana. Maybe we need to think through it more and someone would, break, would figure that out and make a lot of money. Yeah, so for me, lifestyle. So, so you, you feel that lifestyle should be the hottest? Is it, is it because it is such a low-hanging fruit and a lot more investors locally might probably understand it or to invest more money in it? Or is it because it has the potential of propelling Ghana onto a, such a stage that everything else can sort of hook onto it as, as, as it gets yeah. off. I think it's both. It's definitely a low-hanging fruit because uh, for me, especially just in coming back to bootstrapping, right? Like I want people to start startups and start getting revenue quickly. 
right? Do that. If you do that for two, three years, and what you are really interested in is running, I don't know, some kind of drone startup that you couldn't afford when you were starting the other one, then that's fine, right? So for me, low-hanging fruits, I, I really appreciate that to use that term. So low-hanging fruit, that is great. And then uh, secondly, because people understand it more and there's probably more support for it, right? Because, I mean, why shouldn't, we can be unique. Why are we building the same apps everyone is building? Why can't we build apps that would work much better here and then scale that elsewhere? I'm not saying that we shouldn't build the cool apps, but for me, I think the most important thing, again, just to be able to ramp up and looking at what happens and looking at our unique things, looking at even branding Ghana, I, I think we, we need to be a bit more um, circumspect with what we choose to work on. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a very solid one. Talking about things that you know, we can work on, what, what is the one technology solution that you've involved in that you're most proud of? Oh, <laughs> um, I mean, that's, that's a bit of a tough question because I've been involved in Kasahuro a lot. So I'm very, very proud of Kasahuro for a number of reasons. I mean, Kasahuro is at the point where um, I'm not really part of the team, so I can't say we, but Kasahuro is at the point where um, it has technology to translate documents in English to tree, right? Kasahuro focuses on so many, so many um, African languages that are not spoken in Ghana. And they've been able to sell a lot of eBooks on Amazon. So I'm really proud with, proud about what Kasura has been able to do since it was started. Um, so that's something that I'm a bit closer to. Uh, for things that I'm not as close to, I mean, I have to mention M Pharma because um, Gregory is someone I've known for a while. And I remember, I think he came to Barcamp Tema 2015. And even before that, we had had conversations and he would be telling me, oh, you know, he's trying to work on this. He can't get people in Ghana or government authorities or hospitals to buy into it. So he's going to Zambia, he's going to Ivory Coast. And, you know, he's been able to get some conversations started there. And this is really network related, right? I mean, Gregory is, he was, he's part of the global shippers community just like I am. So he's leveraged some of his networks to be able to talk to people in Zambia and talk to people in some of these other countries. So I'm proud of how he was able to start in some of those countries. And now they have a much bigger presence in Ghana. And I mean, if you don't know how much money they've raised, just go and Google it. <laughs> so I'm very proud of uh, M Pharma. And then let me just mention the third company, Express Pay. Um, because I mean, the Express Pay, the four co-founders, three of them went to MIT. Um, they were at MIT at the same time as I was, they are all Ghanaians. And I remember when um, Curtis was in Ghana and working on Express Pay, he spent a lot of time talking to stakeholders, trying to research, trying to figure out what they need to do before launching Express Pay, right? So on the one hand, you can go and bootstrap or do your lean methodology and MVP and start. Or on the other hand, you can learn from Curtis and Express Pay, do all the research, talk to all the people that you need so that when you launch, 
they can help express pay really ramp up and really do well right it's, it's, it's really interesting i mean i think it's been like two years doing that you know and then as soon as they launched first the other important thing is they had a solid product a product that works like a product that you can say it was built in india and not built in ghana because We've always had this issue of people feel like a lot of Ghana-made tech apps are not great. The product they brought out was solid. It was great. It was world-class. And then since then, you know their story as well as I do. So those are just three companies that I want to mention. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a bit closer to the action for those. So, um, yeah. Share your thoughts and opinions on the show via the WhatsApp number 54 Tweet at us using hashtag CityTrend. What, what do you, is there any Ghanaian tech solution that you wish had, had 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 enough support to make it bigger than it is right now? Oh wow, uh, that's that's a that's a great question. Something I've not really thought of, but I'll mention a few. Um, I think Dropify had had a good had good promise. Um, there are different issues why Dropify doesn't exist anymore. Um, apart from Dropify, I think Slice Biz. You know, so I'm thinking of you know, I, one of the things I want to do, and hopefully I'll get to do it this year, is to just do a table of startups in Ghana since 2010 or 2008 or something up till this year. So some of the, the ones I'm mentioning are old. So Slicebase for me was very interesting. I mean, they were trying to give people the opportunity to invest small amounts of money in a company for very small equity. You know, I, th I think that was a solid idea because we have a huge challenge with angel investors and local investors in Ghana. You know, um, the culture in Ghana I don't know, rich people don't want people to know that they have money. So they don't want to invest for people to see that they have money. Um, when you go to Nigeria, that's not the case. It's, it's one big issue we have to fix. And Slicebase could have fixed that. So I'll mention Slicebase. And then maybe a third one. Um, it's tough for me to think about the third one. <laughs> Those two come to mind quickly. But... Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's, I mean, it's clear maybe. it's clear that it's clear from what you're saying that there are quite a number of, I mean, firstly, there's that conversation to be had about, um, you know, the the where the headspace where a lot of these, um, technology entrepreneurs actually find themselves. You know, yeah. I have a great idea, how to build something, but does it really work within this space? Will it work within this space? You yeah. know, and 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 then there is the other side of it where. People build incredible solutions, but then just do not get the support to take them to the next level. That's, yeah. that's obviously that yeah. a conversation to be had and, as well. And I think the other thing around this is sometimes some of the things that people are building are ahead of their time, right? You could say Dropify was ahead of his time. Um, I talked, I mentioned that at Rankard, we were working on some fintech related, e-commerce related things. I think we were ahead of our time. You know, so I think there is that. Other thing is, obviously, think about how different entrepreneurs build something and fail, and then their third or fourth startup becomes more successful. So that's also fine, right? 
Uh, I mean, I think it's important that, you know, whoever was running the startups that we might be thinking about, what are they doing now? And are they successful at it? Most of them are very successful at it. If, if, even just the two companies I mentioned. And I think, you know, the people behind those, right? So um, I, I think there, there are lessons to be learned there. So if we do fail because of different reasons, we learn lessons, we come up with something else that is very successful, right? Um, yeah, but, you know, I, I think even if we are consistent with that startup for a period of time because we don't want to let it go, I mean, seriously, at some point, you have to learn the lessons to become more successful. If you're not learning lessons to become more successful, then there's something that the founders have to do about themselves or check. Maybe they need better partners, they need better mentors, um, maybe they need to pivot, you know, all of those things, right? So I, I just want to mention something quick about Dreamoval. Think about how Dreamoval, when they started out 05, 06, they had thought of slide pay, something like slide pay. But they realized that it was difficult to bring that one to market. So they worked with banks, they worked with different organizations. And then by the time they brought slide pay out, slide pay was swimming, right? So sometimes maybe it's timing. Um, sometimes it's the market. I mean, at Cosmos Innovation Center, we are very particular about market research, right? And I think if more people get to do market research and understand the market very well, they'll make better decisions and they'll succeed much more quickly. Um, one of the other things that also comes up in a lot of the conversations around tech in Ghana, what, and you touched on it briefly, has to do with support. So when you go to the Israel's of this world where you know, startups are giving money, for example, to fail. We don't have anything like that in Ghana. So what then it means yeah. is that quite a number of these, you know, tech startups start off, but then really don't have the support to see through the ideas, no matter how wild it might be. Because sometimes, truthfully, the wild ideas are actually the ones that shape the world. So yeah. I'm just wondering from where you sit, um, what we can sort of do around that as well. Yeah, so, I mean, let me just think of Airbnb, right? Airbnb solved a problem of people needing places to stay when they travel. So for me, that was oil. People already needed that, right? It wasn't like a very, very new idea. You know, they just, you know, um, thought about, oh, it seems people might be interested in hosting people who are traveling. So that was the second part people interested in hosting people who are traveling was what they need to figure out. And then they've done well, right? So, um, I mean, it could also be a wild idea because maybe you've seen the future, <laughs> right? But we always see the future as tech people. Would people embrace that future? It's a totally different thing, right? And even if they embrace that future, would they pay for your service? Which is probably like, you know, would, would they pay for it? Fine, you've built it, it's nice, it's cool. Do they want to pay or not? If they don't want to pay, Charlie, <laughs> you know? So I, I think the research is very important, you know? So whether it's a wild idea or a cool idea or a content-driven idea, you know, um, th there should be some piloting to back that this is going to be successful. Yeah, I don't know if I, I addressed. Hey, so, and then you were talking about that, the local support and investment and things. Exactly. Charlie, that one year is hard, though. 
I mean, Charlie, we've been, I've been, I, I returned from the US in 2011. I have seen Ghana Angel Investor Network. Now you have Accra Business Angels, Charlie. We are not really solving this. Um, I think I, I think the best case, what, one of the things I want to see is in 2012, 2013, we didn't really have hubs, technology hubs. Now we have a whole bunch of them where you know different startups go and work out of or go and work with. One thing I want to see is for people who have money to work with these hubs, to invest in startups at the hubs. I don't know why that is not happening enough. Maybe the hubs need to, but I think some of the hubs are at a point where they have a good brand or a good reputation to be able to handle that, right? So maybe it's not all the 50, 60 hubs we have in Ghana, but maybe 10, that's fine. Let's start with 10. So that's one. Secondly, um, I think if, again, if we can look at these low hanging fruits and people can work on technologies around that, and then people who understand these low hanging fruits or feel like it's less risky invest and they see success, they'll be more interested in going for the more risky ones, right? So, so I, I think those are some of the things we need to do. Um, and then I think we also just need local investors who've invested to use themselves as examples, go on TV, say I invested in this company, these are the returns I've got. Let other rich people watch it and follow him or follow her. So I think that's what we need to do. Atul, thank you so much for, for your time on the show today. Um, I, I really, really appreciate you <laughs> making the time to share these thoughts with us. I always enjoy talking to you because it's very, the conversations are very real and very relatable. And I, I really appreciate, appreciate you making the time to, to join us for this chat. Thank you for inviting me, Philip. More vim to all the listeners more of them to all of those leveraging technology and internet to improve themselves and improve our country. And we hope for a much better country as soon as possible. We'll fix it while we're at it. Um, yes. Atu, thank you so much. Yeah, and let's, let's think about our Ghanaian <laughs> dreams and work towards it. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. Um, that yeah, was Atu joining me on the show uh, to talk about his journey through tech and some lessons that he's picked up over the years. The show continues. This is City Trends. I do hope that conversation was riveting enough to get your attention, especially if you're looking at building your own technology solution. Let's get now into the app segment of the show with Jeffrey Orekusapo. Hello and welcome to the app segment on City Trends. Tonight, we are talking about the app called Flat Tomato. This app is basically a productivity app that helps you use the Pomodoro technique. The Pomodoro technique is a system where your work is broken down into 25-minute intervals with many short breaks. What the app Flatometo does is to time your work sessions according to this technique and you can integrate your to-do lists and projects to track the time for each. The app is available only on the App Store. So those of you with iOS devices can try it out and tell us what you think. 
If you have any app that you think we should review on this segment, why don't you get in touch with me on Twitter via the handle OJ Sapong, O-J-S-A-R-P-O-N-G, and let's get talking. Well, thank you very much, Jeffrey. Let's continue now to the trending segment of the show where Mr. Entry brings us up to date with all the latest news in the world of tech. Thank you, Philip. Hello, everybody. You all welcome to the biggest stories in the technology ecosystem in Ghana. Today, I bring you stories from the ride hailing industry, social networking space, and the gaming industry. To our first story, last week, Uber Ghana made a significant change in its services. The ride hailing company has removed cancellation fees on its platform. According to Uber Ghana, their data shows that cancellation fees often discourages its users from taking trips, hence the move to remove it. Now, requested trips that are cancelled will attract no extra cost, which will have a minimal impact on drivers' overall earnings, whilst encouraging users to take more trips. To our next story of the week, at the start of the year in January, WhatsApp introduced a new privacy policy that allows the sharing of data between WhatsApp and Facebook, and users were required to accept it. There was a mass backlash, and the company assured users who opt out willingly could still use the app. But in a recent official WhatsApp support article, the company says otherwise. In the new information, if you didn't opt in for the privacy policy, you will have some time to do that after May 15th, but you wouldn't be able to access your chat in the app, but will be able to access some video and audio calls, and you'll be only be able to reply messages when you tap on the notification and open them. And for some time, your WhatsApp account will be rendered useless when you'll be only be able to download your data and export them from WhatsApp. To our test of the week, you can now send and receive money through Twitter's new feature, Tipjar. The new feature allows users to send money to their favorite creators. Tipjar is currently open to few Twitter accounts. An account with Tipjar have a cash icon next to the follow button on the profile page. To our last story of the weekend, maybe the biggest, Ghanaian game studio Letty Art, in collaboration with Real Games, has designed Africa's and Ghana's biggest game character yet, Astra. Astra is the 15th agent in the Volarant game. She has a Ghanaian accent and is also voiced by a Ghanaian. This is the first time a Ghanaian game character is featured at this big stage. Kudos to Letty Art and the Ghanaian game industry. That's all for the week. You can follow me on Twitter at yaoenchiusu. Over to you, Philip. That's all time will allow us on the show today. Do hope you have picked up a thing or two. It's been a pleasure coming your way. A big thank you to the production team as well. But remember that the show will be available as a podcast first thing tomorrow morning. So make sure you look out for it. Till next week, my name is Philip Sean. Stay techy!